Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 8th of February 2015, entitled, By All Means Save Some. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I invite you to stand with us this evening to honor the reading of God's holy word as we read the chapter, but then come back and look at just a couple of verses in this passage this evening, and uh, hopefully some words that uh, will speak to our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth asks a question, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, with the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this, have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. We have sown unto you spiritual things. It is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do we not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more." None to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. 
to them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. For this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Father, we thank you this evening that we have the privilege of opening your word before us that you've preserved for us. We thank you this evening that we can have the assurance of knowing that, Lord, through the power of your spirit, you live and dwell within each and every one of us that belong to you. So, Father, we come to you this evening knowing, Lord, that it's you that we desire to speak to our hearts this evening. We need not the words of man which can penetrate just the ears. We need the Spirit to take these words, to make them alive into our hearts and give to us that which you would have us to take from here this evening. Speak to each person. Reach each one where they are with their particular need. We give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus Christ's name alone we pray. Amen and amen. Simple thought, title, if you would, this evening that we want to just focus on for these next few moments is, by all means, save some. (laughs) By all means, save some. You see, when we look at the context of all that's told in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is, is, of course, he's there and he's vindicating his apostleship, the position that he, that he has. And he's making it very clear that it is right that as a minister of that gospel that he should live by that gospel. But we also know that he goes on to say that <laughs> that's not why I'm preaching. There are many people that proclaim the gospel for a lot of reasons today, but Paul says, yes, it's right that I should live by that gospel. I mean, and he goes through all of these illustrations showing why, but he said, that's not why I preach. (laughs) As a matter of fact, it's impossible for me not to preach. I'm preaching the gospel, and he gives us some, some reasons for that. The thing that we see is that when he comes down here, and what I would like us to direct our, our attention this evening is that he begins there in verse 19. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Why? That I might gain the more. Now that's totally the opposite of what the flesh would want to do, isn't it? (laughs) You know, even though I'm set free and I don't have to be, and yet he says, I have made myself a servant. And I'd keep that in mind, a servant unto all. What does he mean? And then he goes on to to break down those alls into a few groups. He says, unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law is without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. In other words, he's giving us these groups. 
And what he did, because he's making it very clear that even though he went to them that were without the law of God, he wasn't without law. In other words, he didn't do anything that was contrary to what God had for him to do. He goes on in verse 22 and he says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And that's where I take our thought from this evening, by all means save some. Now, I've heard it myself, and maybe you have, that some have taken these verses and used them actually as, as an occasion to the flesh, as an excuse to do some things that are totally contrary. But Paul has made it very clear before he says it that, hey, you know, I'm not without the law to God. I'm under the law to Christ. I am still bound by God's word. But they were penned here by the apostle Paul not to give occasion to the flesh, not to make some kind of an excuse, but I believe to reveal to us this consuming passion of his life and of his ministry and a passion that should concern every child of God today. I ask you a very simple question, and it's one that certainly, I mean, I, I think about a lot of times, I ponder about a lot of times, and I hope you do too, and that is, why are we not seeing more people saved? Thank God for all those that are being saved, but Why? We find that on the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and preached, and suddenly thousands of people are saved, 3,000 of them. Wow. We find that there have been great revivals when people literally come under the preaching of the gospel. The conviction is so real, they just fall, and they call unto God to, to save their wretched souls. Why? Well, I believe that part of it is what we see here this evening I'm sure we can make a whole list of reasons, but you see, what I want us to grasp and understand and take courage in is that it's not because of the message. It's not because of the gospel. It's not because God is any less powerful than he has ever been. As a matter of fact, it's not because of God at all that would have all men to come to repentance. Paul is saying to us here that he lived a life that he was willing not only to do what he needed to in this life, but we see that his passion was such that he was willing to die if that's what it meant for the salvation of a soul. There was this constant burden that we can find all through his writings in Scripture that that rested upon him that others might be saved. He longed for that salvation in his soul, and he was willing to go to any trouble or any inconvenience that it might cost him that some might be saved. What do we see in this all-consuming desire? How many people have you seen that kind of all-consuming desire that we see in the apostle? 
Well, I want to give you five things just to consider this evening. I've started them all with a P so you can remember them easily. The first one is the passion. The passion. We could look at all these, you know, to the Jews, a Jew, to them without the law, without the law, them that are under the law, under the law. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. Paul is expressing his passion in, in such a way that he is willing to meet men wherever they are. Culture's not going to get in his way. Their background's not going to get in his way. Their position in life is not going to get in his way. If it means a little bit of inconvenience, then that's not going to slow him down. Now, we've already seen from what he's saying in context, that's why it's so important that he is not talking about compromise here. He's not talking about violating Scripture so many times. I could go through a whole list of things. Well, I did this or I went there and I did this just so that I could have this contact with this lost person. Folks, when that contact is going into their world where it's costing you, your testimony, and that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. You see, he didn't need to be seen as anything special. He didn't need to be seen as strong within himself. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. In other words, he didn't have to seem superior to somebody that didn't know, that somebody that was simple, that somebody that didn't have an, an understanding. He didn't need to seem stronger or superior in any way. He wasn't concerned about them looking at Paul and who he was. He's saying to us here, he was willing to, to stoop to the lowest level of comprehension to make the gospel understood. He was willing to become as weak as necessary before others that they might see the gospel. In other words, he didn't need to impress them with his abilities, with his knowledge, with anything that he was. We can look at other places. We knew that if, if anybody had anything to brag about, the apostle Paul did. He was willing to swallow his pride to condescend to the lowest level if it meant that person understanding the glorious message of the gospel. He had such a passion. I believe that maybe it was a passion that the apostle is expressing here that maybe was a bit of what John Knox grabbed in his heart. When he cried those words from the depths of his heart, Oh God, give me Scotland or I die. When was the last time that we had that kind of passion for souls to be saved. Lord, give me this soul to be saved or I die. That passion is just so all-consuming. That's the kind of cry that was coming from him. And it's not just unique here. You say, well, look back just a few pages in your Bible to, to Romans chapter 9. And notice what the apostle says here when he's writing to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 9, he begins in verse 1. He said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren 
my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you realize what the apostle Paul is saying there? He has such a passion for the salvation of his kinsmen that he said, if it meant it, I would be willing to be accursed. I would be willing to go to hell so that they could be saved if that's what it took. That's the kind of passion. That's how much he cared about the salvation of souls. That's how much he cared about the salvation of his kinsmen. Wow. You know, if it was possible, if it meant that they didn't have to, I would be willing to take their place in hell so that they could be saved. He says just a few pages over, still in Romans chapter 10, matter of fact, in the very next chapter, notice what he says in verse 1. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That they might be saved. I'm saying to you that first of all, do we share that kind of consuming passion for the salvation of souls? We wonder why that we don't see more people being saved. I'm saying, do we share? the kind of passion for souls that we see here before us? Are we really, genuinely concerned about seeing men and women come to salvation? Are we willing to inconvenience ourselves? Are we willing to swallow our pride and not worry about what they think about us if we can get through to them the simple Message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, <laughs> it is awful easy for all of us to be engaged with so many other things, so many matters that in the end they're, they're all secondary, and to be failing at the greatest objective of all. You see, I don't think that I'm exaggerating one bit when I say that the supreme objective in every Christian's life should be the salvation of souls. Why? Because that was the objective of Jesus Christ himself. That was the objective of the one that lives within us. If we are the Lord's, if we belong to him, then the great business of our life should be the salvation of souls. You see, Luke chapter 19, 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to impress us with who he was. He didn't come to impress us with how great that he could teach. He didn't come to impress us because he was the only person in the flesh that would ever walk upon this earth and not commit a sin. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his driving passion. That was the passion of God before the foundation of the world. You see, to win souls should be a matter of supreme importance and priority in our life. Is that, is that the supreme business in our life? And is that the supreme business in our church? You see, I don't take light. I thank God for everything that he's done. We could look around and we could realize and we could probably get ourselves pretty depressed if we just started looking at all the things that need doing to this building right now. 
We need to stop water leaks. We need to stop air leaks. And we need to do this. And we need to do that because it's things that need to be done. But I'm saying to you this evening, in all of that, let's not lose track of our supreme objective. And that's the salvation of souls. These things need to be done, so not so that we can be more comfortable when we come. You like being comfortable when you come to church? You like it that it's more comfortable now that we've got the central heating, which for many years we didn't have? Sure, but that's not our objective. The objective of these things is not so that we can have a nicer, more comfortable place for us. Our supreme objective in all that we do should be the salvation of souls. And I believe this. I believe when we make that our business, when that is our priority, when that is our objective, I believe with all my heart, God will take care of those other things. But when we start worrying about them and not the souls of men, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And I don't say this with any pride this evening. That's the problem with too many quote, unquote, places that call themselves churches in our day. <laughs> Their supreme objective is all kinds of things, and some of them even good social things, but it's not the salvation of souls. A Christian or church can be thoroughly evangelical without being at all evangelistic. <laughs> what do you mean? <clears throat> you can know all the evangelical truths you can know the truths of what it takes to be saved. But being evangelistic is taking those truths and giving them to someone else, going out there and trying to win those souls to Christ. There's a big difference in knowing it and doing it. Just because we call ourselves evangelical does not mean that we're being evangelistic in our outreach. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know, you can work yourself to death and it'll all be worthless because we're working for all the things that don't matter. It's not being busy that pleases God. It's easy to become very inward-looking instead of outward-reaching. This evening, the objective is the salvation of souls. Men and women and boys and girls all around us, they are lost and they need to be saved. But does that matter to us? You see, as we think of that thought this evening, I give you just a couple of passages to remind you, not because you don't know these things, but in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible tells us very clearly they need to be saved. But it's only. It's only through Jesus Christ that they can be saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is. We can, we can try to be as nice and polite about it as we want to. There is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved from your sins except through the finished work of Christ. You see, we could look at all kinds of things, but what they need is to be forgiven for their sins. And I don't care how many good deeds they do and how religious that they get and how many things that they try to do to get on the good side of God. Acts chapter 13, 
And verse 38 says, Be it known unto you, brethren, men, be, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Through this man, Jesus Christ is the only way. And we can look at many verses, but he's the only way. We won't turn and read for the sake of time. In John chapter 3, you read there verses 5 to 7. That which is born of the flesh is spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus said, marvel not. And I say, ye must be born again. You must be born again. There is no other way to have life except through that. Of course, again, the book of Romans, chapter 5, the Bible says, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we could look at all of those great descriptors, and we've looked at some of them in past weeks when we're looking at the atonement. We've been looking there in Genesis, but being led to the fullness of God's great salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do we possess the passion that the Apostle Paul is getting across to us here? Do we possess that passion for the salvation of souls? I'm saying to you this evening, I believe we need that passion. And I believe that if we don't have that passion, we ought to be on our face before God, asking God to give us that passion not only do we need to consider the passion, but I want you to notice in this passage, we need to consider the potential. <laughs> to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things, what's the next three words in your Bible? To all men. I made all things to all men. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So there's a lot in that verse that he died for all so that those that would accept that would no longer live unto ourselves but to live for him that others might live. You see, God loves everyone, all. Jesus Christ died for all. Paul's aim here was to proclaim the gospel to all that he could reach and it seems, according to scriptures, <laughs> that he must have pretty well done that. He must have met that aim because he was able to say in Acts chapter 20, and I wish I could say this. He said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 26, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. We could do a lot of things there, but boy, you go back to Ezekiel and you look at the watchman on the tower and you talk about the blood being required at the hands of those watchmen. We find that what I want you to grasp is that <laughs> if we're faithful, if we're faithful like the Apostle Paul was, how 
does that work out in a practical way? You see, it means being on the watch for souls all the time, in the home, in the business, on the job, at the school, while we're traveling, while we're shopping, while we're doing anything, being on the watch for souls that are lost, that need to be saved at all times. In every circumstance, we must be ready to present the claims of Christ. Listen, I don't understand and I don't probably won't understand until maybe one day when I've got a better mind, when I've got a new body and a new mind, when I'm in the presence of God himself and he can explain things to me fully, I'm not sure that until that day that I'll ever fully grasp all the things of salvation and what God has done and how he does them and why he does them. I want us to grasp this this evening. Some people get all worried. Remember, I told you a story once before that when Charles Spurgeon went to New Park Street Baptist Church before it ever became the Metropolitan Tabernacle, when he went there as a 19-year-old kid, and I mean, he was green around the ears. He was just young. He'd only been saved a few years he hadn't had any kind of real Bible training. Now, he had read the Word of God. He had spent a lot of time in his granddad's library for most of his life in the Bible. But when he went there, and he was a Calvinist, but when he started proclaiming the gospel, he started inviting anybody that would to come. They got upset with him. <laughs> what if somebody comes that's not one of the elect? And they thought, Boy, you're walking on dangerous ground, preacher. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be inviting anybody that wants to to come. Of course, they had quite a discussion about that. The truth is, is it was him that said, we may not ever understand it. But he said on one side of the door, says, whosoever will, they come. You get there on the other side and it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. How can we ever fully understand God and all of his working? Because I don't but I don't have any trouble understanding this, that the passion of the Apostle Paul was that all men would be saved. The potential was all. He was the one. His, his responsibility was to make sure that he became what he needed to, to all men, that they might be saved. So we see that in this, we've, we see that there's the passion, and we see that there's the potential. Thirdly, I want you to notice something else, simply the practice. <laughs> I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. You see, what he's saying in practice is that we are to adopt every means available to secure the salvation of souls. Now, not going contrary to Scripture, some people, you know, they, they, they don't think it's worthwhile to go knocking on doors because somebody might be offended. They don't think it's good to pass out tracts because this, that, or the other don't do any good. <laughs> Certainly no street preaching and witnessing in the open and the public and all these people can have all kinds of excuses. But what we're saying is that I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. All means, of course, that are under the law of Christ that he's under. All means by which doesn't violate the word of God. 
Think about the journey that Jesus made <laughs> when he came from heaven to earth, when he allowed them to nail him upon that cross of Calvary, when he did it all for your salvation and for mine. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. A lot of things, but he was willing to give it all up. He was willing to give it all up so that you could have everything. We see that if we look into the Gospel of John chapter 4, and this is just a small illustration because we see it time and time and time again in Scripture, but it's always intrigued me. We hear he's talking about the Samaritan woman, and it says in, in verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria this is Jesus Christ. This is God in the flesh. He must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because that Samaritan woman was that important to him. He went there for her. That was the only reason that he went through Samaria. Of course, once he reached her, <laughs> then she went out and reached a bunch of others, didn't she? <laughs> so it wasn't just for her, but it was for that meeting. That wasn't a chance meeting. We won't turn there this evening. Sometime back, we looked at it, and it's a familiar passage in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 24. We find the, uh, the parable there, and we find the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. What do we see there? We see the concern, the concern of God for each and every individual. You see, what have we denied ourselves in order that one sinner might be saved, in order that one individual might be saved. If we were to help get others in, and I believe we must be prepared to put ourselves out, <laughs> to put ourselves out. It might call for sacrifice. It might call for persistence, for determination, but it will result in success. In Psalm 126, verse 6, you hear talking about going out, weeping, bearing precious seeds. Sometimes, sometimes it may take some weeping. It may take some weeping. It may take some struggles. What does it mean? How do we go about that? Well, I'm not going to give you a step one, step two, step three, and this is the way you go out and save a soul. All I want to say this evening is I want to offer you one absolute essential. And I believe if you get this one right, the rest of it you'll be able to figure out for yourself. What's that, preacher? Reliance on God and not on you. <laughs> Reliance on that Holy Spirit that lives within you. Surely, one of the most important things is just first, truly, we can call, we can look at all these different things, whether it's being filled with the Holy Spirit, whether it's yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit, it's God in the power of His Spirit filling and controlling our lives. You see, I believe that He will lead us to the best methods 
to adopt in order to win that soul to Christ. <laughs> I don't think that we need a bunch of mechanical plans even though that they're laid down with well-meaning, and I'm not saying that we can't learn from each other in, in ways to be more effective in all this, but I'm saying we can't rely upon mechanics, but we need to rely upon the Spirit, upon God himself. Now, I believe that he'll certainly, just as we read there in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, I believe that one of the first things that you're going to have is that burden, that passion. I believe that... He assures us of that guidance from above. He'll give you guidance. He'll literally show you where to go and what you need to do. In Acts chapter 8, notice what he said there in verse 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now here's what is probably one of, one of the deacons in the church from Jerusalem. But here suddenly, of course, the angel of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is speaking to him and telling him, Philip, you need to go this way, this time, right now. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read, read Isaiah the prophet, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a, a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus, and preached unto him, Jesus. You see, there's only one thing that can save a soul, and that's Jesus. And that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's only this word that can bring them to that. But I'm saying the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us and take us. It's still the same message that we've got to give to them. It's still the message of Jesus that we've got to proclaim to them. But I believe that... God will give you that guidance. <laughs> he might lead us to speak to a person individually or to give them a tract. He may speak to us to do something special to let Christ be seen in our lives. He'll lead us and guide us and open those doors. Ultimately, our aim has always got to be to take them to Jesus. He alone can save them. We are just instruments in his hand. Oh, there's a lot this evening. I just, I just wanted you to consider in this passage the passion, the potential, the practice. But consider also, he goes on to say that I might by all means save some. The purpose. The purpose. <laughs> you see, the purpose is always salvation. The most that any servant of God can ever do. And the greatest 
that any servant of God can ever do is to see someone saved. But you see, that's the purpose in it all, that some would get saved. Paul preached the gospel to many, but not everybody accepted the message. There were also many that rejected it. The potential is all men, but all men won't accept the message that we give to them. They won't receive it. They won't believe it. But we continue to proclaim the gospel because it's only when we do that some will be saved, that I might by all means save some. You look back into the gospel of Matthew, you find Jesus very early in his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, when he began to call out these men that would be his followers, his disciples, his apostles, he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. <laughs> you see, as a young man growing up, I loved fishing. I used to spend a lot of time fishing. The rivers, the lakes, the ocean, I just, I love fishing. You know what? <laughs> a fisherman never, ever catches all the fish that are available. <laughs> Matter of fact, he only catches some of them, and he only does that some of the time. <laughs> Sometimes nothing is biting. <laughs> Though you might be using the same bait that's worked a lot of times before, and it's maybe caught many fish before. Sometimes it requires a lot of patience. <laughs> One thing is for certain. If you're going to catch fish, you have to go fishing. You have to go fishing. There's one sure way to never catch anything. That's to never go. We must go fishing for the souls of men, just as Jesus was promising his followers here, if we're to see some saved. We need to get busy. We need to go fishing. And we need to cast that bait out there, the only bait that ever, ever is going to catch a soul. So we see the passion, the potential, the practice, the purpose behind it all, that some will be saved. That's why we go, and that's why we keep going. And I want you to see this final point, <laughs> the partakers. He says, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. I scratched my head a little bit when I read that. I didn't have trouble understanding this I do for the gospel's sake, but then the apostle says that I might be partaker thereof with you. Well, we cannot of ourselves save any soul, of course. And understand what I'm about to say, that, of course, we can see clearly enough that a person to be saved must personally be a partaker of the gospel. There is no other way. So it's not hard to understand that. They've got to receive it by faith. They've got to act upon it. But 
Paul is saying here that I might be partaker thereof with you. You see, he said, I'm doing this for the gospel's sake. <laughs> We're not out there doing it <laughs> for my sake. You're not going to get closer to heaven. You might have more crowns when you get there, <laughs> but it doesn't make you more saved. He's not doing it because he has to, as many and many religions are doing their work because they have to. I'm doing it for the gospel's sake. He's already saved. However, he says, I am doing it that I might be partaker thereof with you. He's doing it that he might be partaker of that gospel along with them. What is he talking about? If the work of salvation, which it is, is totally 100% completely a work of God, 0% to man's credit. Salvation is completely by grace through faith. There is nothing else to it. It's all of God or it's nothing. However, may I say that the success of the gospel is dependent to some degree upon the obedience of those who are entrusted with it. <laughs> who has he entrusted that gospel to? I want to close with this passage in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. We find the Great Commission, as we call it, Christ's command for us to go in all of the Gospels. But I find it very intriguing the way that it's written for us here. Jesus began in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. He said this unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. The workings of salvation is all of Jesus Christ. He had to fulfill everything that God laid down. But I want you to notice what he says in the next sentence. And the next sentence begins there in verse 45, and it doesn't finish until the end of verse 47. And it's all one thought. It's all one sentence. It says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer. This is why it's written down. This is why that Jesus Christ suffered and to rise from the dead the third day. This is the whole purpose of the gospel and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, my na in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. All one thought. It had to be fulfilled, yes. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he rose the third day. And that's why it's essential that we preach the gospel to every living creature because without it, they can never be saved. Our passion. Do we really have that passion? We, we know we like the thought of people getting saved and we can get happy over it, but I'm saying, do we want to really see God moving? We need the passion that we're reading here in the Word of God. We need to desire souls to be saved like the apostle did here. The potential, every human being that you come face to face with, every one of them. The practice, giving yourself to God. <laughs> Let God use you as the instrument that he wants to. 
That's what the apostle was. That's the only way anybody will ever be saved. Find that the purpose that some will be saved. Some will reject. Sometimes it's going to take some patience. Sometimes you just got to be faithful and keep on keeping on. Partakers. <laughs> Partakers. You see, and here, the Apostle Paul wasn't doing it for his sake. He was doing it for the gospel's sake. But he became partakers with them through his obedience, through his obedience in being that servant that God wanted him to be. Father, we do thank you this evening. We thank you, Lord, that we're just reminded of one of the simplest messages in all of the Word of God. Lord, certainly the most important message when it comes to the salvation of souls. Father, as we look here this evening, we're reminded, Lord, that so many times there are so many things that have our concerns more than the most important thing of all, and that's the salvation of souls. I just pray this evening that you'll help us to be encouraged and be reminded. Lord, maybe we have witnessed a lot of times and maybe we've seen little effect, but Lord, you call us to be fishermen. You call us to be faithful. You call us to do whatever we need to do so that some can be saved. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this evening. By all means, save some. Help us, Lord, to do whatever is essential. Help us to give ourselves to you, to let you do whatever you so desire so that somebody, somebody else can be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.